compared to my it's long, long, long almost life. Almost half your life. Yeah, but my 20s were actually like 52 <laughs> years long. <laughs> my 20s were very full of life. Packed a lot into those 20s. I did. We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips, the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And we're excited to be with you today. And we have a new opening. Did you notice? Did you notice? Do you notice something different? <laughs> hey, 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 hey. If you are a faithful sipster, <laughs> they you, turned it off immediately. Like they stopped like, their oh, other. No, oh, opening. that's. Oh, we can't. Mm-mm. That's not my girls. No, no, no. no. <laughs> not my girls. <laughs> I, I hope any of our listeners say that about us. I was just going to say that. I hope someone says, those are my That's girls. Not, those are my girls. Those are my girls. My girls. We hope we, we are your girls. If you inherently. don't do that, please start doing that please now. Start, please start doing that. <laughs> Starting today. It'll make us really happy. <laughs> Even if we don't hear it, somehow we will feel it in the force of Sipsterville. <laughs> Sipsterville. I am the queen. Sip City. And you are the princess. <laughs> Of Sipsterville. I can deal with that. I'm more like a jester, I think. <laughs> so, any of the new stuff you want to talk about before we actually jump in to the whole what we're doing today thing? Well, we're doing something exciting with our necessary <laughs> bullshit brothers. Mm-hmm. My brothers, your sons. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when we're doing it. <laughs> I don't know if it's coming out before or after this episode. So, if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, uh, you already released that idiot. Well, it's because we're recording it before and we don't know. Don't don't call me an idiot. It's a mystery Hypothetical of listener. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's happening at some point. So, get hype. If you're listening to this and that has not come out yet, that's happening. Mm-hmm. But not sure when it's coming out, so... That's a thing. Look forward to it. Get excited. <laughs> if you don't have anything else in your life get- to get excited about, there's a little something right there. There you go. You just need you something go. to look forward to. You got to look it. for the good things. Look there for the positive go. things. That's, That's kind of like a little teaser. Look for look the, for positive, the positive. positive. Oh, the things. positive. Th- okay, yes. Mm-hmm. It's a little teaser. Yes. Look for the positive. Find people you like to hang out with, possibly a mob of them, <laughs> and look for the positives. <laughs> Hang out with a, I don't know, a herd of your friends. <laughs> herd of your friends, <laughs> as we call our friends. And our sipsters are saying, I think they've lost yeah, it. They've, they're starting they've to talk in code. too much to drink or not enough to drink. Yeah, it's not enough The answer is not enough, yeah, correct? Not enough today. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of semi-sober, Bonnie and Anna. Yes, so it, it could either go very... It might change over the course of the episode. We might pause depending and on have how to much... liquor up. <laughs> depending on how much mob talks and how much I can sip. You're going to talk first, though. That is true. Because we have a person that I need to give history about. Because I'm the history person. Mm-hmm. So who are we talking about today, Mom? 
I just forgot his you first forgot his name. name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. His first name. What's his first name? Abraham. Abraham. Oh, how could I forget that? Abe. 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 I'm so sorry, Abe. <laughs> Abe, if you're listening to this. From heaven. In psychology, heaven. They do heaven. listen to podcasts <laughs> in heaven. Yes. Don't know if ours i i think if it's any it's probably ours oh, okay i'm just saying i have some friends there <laughs> so abraham maslow yes that's who we're talking about today and what you probably recognize that name mm-hmm. even if you don't know abraham himself personally um, personally but you probably know him from maslow's hierarchy of needs that's yes. kind of his most famous thing but we will crack into that in a second. First, let me give you some background, because as we've talked about before, we like to give background on the theorists we talk about, because, I mean, I personally think that's important to know why they developed the theories they did. I mm-hmm. think it's useful to look at their history and their context and see where they're coming from with their approach to psychology. So, Abraham Maslow <laughs> was born in 1908 in Brooklyn, New York. He was the oldest of seven kids. His parents were actually first-generation Jewish immigrants from Kiev. They were fleeing czarist persecution from the Russian Empire at that point. Mm. But that doesn't mean they were able to escape the racism. And actually, Abraham grew up with several anti-Semitic gangs who would throw rocks at him and just kind of generally harass him. Mm. So that racism was still prevalent. It's still prevalent today. I don't know what I'm talking about. As if I'm surprised it was prevalent then. So he constantly had to kind of run from that harassment. And it was a struggle to overcome this. And part of the way he coped with it was wanting to strive for an idealistic world based around widespread education and economic justice. So just kind of looking toward a more equality-based system. And that was kind of the start of his... He's a humanist, Mm -hmm. and he dealt a lot with positive psychology as well, was one of his things. And so this is kind of where that all started, is trying to look at things in a positive framework. Mm -hmm. Now, I say that, but Homeboy hated his mom so much. So one of... That makes me sad. Well, yes. I have a, uh, a quote from him. What I had reacted to was not only her physical appearance, but also her values and worldview, her stinginess, her total selfishness, her lack of love for anyone else in the world, even her own husband and children, her narcissism, her Negro prejudice, her exploitation of everyone, her assumption that anyone was wrong who disagreed with her, her lack of friends, her sloppiness and dirtiness. Oh my gosh. That's a thesis. (laughs) That's a thesis on why he hated his mom. Oh my gosh. A lot to unpack there, Abe. Big it yikes. does. It really makes you wonder. Yeah. I wonder what the other kids in the family would say about mom. I don't know. Where does she he, actually was that bad? Was where does Brooklyn? he fall in the birth order again? Oldest. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> where did I see. I see. I know. That's it. <laughs> Actually, one of his only friends was his cousin Will. And as a result, he spent a lot of time with his nose, like, buried in books. He just had a really, like, a passion for learning. In high school, he was in a lot of academic clubs. He edited the school Latin magazine. He edited the school (laughs) physics paper. He was a nerd. He was a nerd. A Latin magazine. What can that be about? What school has a Latin (laughs) magazine? What? Why? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know. But he also, he wanted to be swole. He wanted to be super strong. He That word does not... Swole? Yeah. Why? It's kind of hard to like express that when it's like in the middle of a, I don't know. Like a sentence? I just didn't expect that word, I guess. And when you said it, it was kind of like, was that a real word? And then it had to, it took a minute for it to sink into my brain what you said. Like get swole. Yeah. Okay. Muscular. 
I, I get it. Okay. But I don't know that I would have gotten it if I wouldn't have seen you do your muscles that oh. you're doing right now. So Yeah, I'm holding up guns. Swole. Okay. Because he thought physical strength was the single most defining characteristic of a true male. Oh. Again, Abe, a lot to unpack. We don't have time for this. <laughs> I- <laughs> Abe. Abraham. You need some therapy, dude. Abe, buddy. <laughs> I love you, but that's not healthy. He well, was- I thought it was weird that, like, to comment on your own mother's looks. The first thing, the first thing out of the yeah. game was she was ugly. <laughs> Yo, mom, my mom is so <laughs> <Sorry>. ugly. <laughs> Because usually, I mean, even if you don't like your mother's character, you don't usually think focus on their looks, you know? So there's some stuff going on there. Well, I mean, maybe it also goes to Unless she was like really ugly, like like small children scream and run away. I don't know. Look up a picture of it. (laughs) If you go, ah, turn off your computer, I'll know you found (laughs) it. If I disappear, if I rip my mic. Rose Maslow. She might be getting a bad rap yeah. just because, like, she wouldn't let him, I don't know what, is that... stay out late one night. So it really made him angry. Well, that's then... what I was going to say is if he was so, he so didn't like her. Like, like, you know, when we like someone, we sort of view them more positively physically. But then when we think someone has a really bad character, we sort of like, oh, they're not that pretty. Yeah, yeah. But it's weird. I wonder what his father was like. Did you ever read about his relationship with his father? He seemed to write more about his mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. No, I, did, I didn't. I mean, there were probably some weird things considering what he thought about true males. Right, right. So, okay, so he thought that was the defining characteristic of a true male. So he spent a lot of time, like, lifting weights and working out, but he was never able to achieve, like, a really muscular body. I assume that was because he was a nerd. It's just illegal. <laughs> it's... <laughs> <laughs> for nerds to be muscular. You're sorry, that's not in your contract. Maybe not. Nerd. That it implied that he was busy doing other stuff and he didn't work out enough to or in the right way or something. Right, right. But again, there was probably some pathology about not having that characteristic. So he finished high school with all his nerd clubs and he bounced around colleges quite a bit. He went to City College of New York, started in legal studies, hated it, left almost immediately, went to Cornell but couldn't paid the tuition and got not great grades so he went back to city college graduated from there then went to grad school at the university of wisconsin oh that's cool yeah so his grad studies were based in experimental behaviorist realm Hmm, okay and he investigated primate dominance and sexuality with with the way he looked at true males (laughs) i I do get worried about that a little bit Uh yeah but actually this behaviorist work he did led to his development of the positivist psychology school which again it's like defining behavior in a more positive light right he got goaded by a professor into doing his thesis on learning, retention, and reproduction of verbal material. And Maslow thought that sucked as a topic. It he sounds pretty boring. <laughs> I gotta admit. Yeah. Well, I don't get... That doesn't sound like what he was going with at all. Go from primate, sexual, whatever, primate, to... Primate bonin. <laughs> to words. He had to scratch that off on the to top of his thesis. remembering like, words. Like, <laughs> professor... Monkey sex to remembering professor words. Professor won't let me do monkey bonin. <laughs> Proud face. So I'm just going to talk about Made the words. professor uncomfortable with my talk about monkey dicks. <laughs> Sad face. <laughs> but he hated his thesis so much that after it was done in the library, like the university library, he went and tore it out of the university library catalog 
Although he later was again kind of peer pressured to publish it as an article. Oh. But he hate he hated it. I mean, he graduated with it. It was his thesis, but he like didn't like it at all. It wasn't what he was interested in at all. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, he married his first cousin in 1928 when he was in college. Oh my! Fun fact: I didn't know much was about okay that back then. Huh? I suppose so. Okay. So he continued the work that he had done on his thesis at Columbia University, and there he hooked up with our boy Alfred Adler. Ah, like professionally hooked up, not like monkey sex Sexually. hooked up. <laughs> Anna Marie, if you're more, <laughs> if you're interested in Alfred Adler, more listen to episode fourteen. We talk about him, mm-hmm. and then World War Two happened, and that just was no Messed good up for anybody. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. But our buddy Maslow was not eligible to be in the army, so his focus went to basically a vision for peace that was inspired by the war. I mean, obviously, when we're in war times, we want peacetime. Mm-hmm. And this was when he began to develop his humanistic psychology, which is kind of what it sounds like. We'll put a pin in that. We'll talk about it later. And he worked under an anthropologist, Ruth Benedict, and a Gestalt psychologist, Max Wertheimer. Have we talked about Gestalt much? Not very much, no. We talked about it a little nope. bit in our dream episode. Yeah, but not not specifically. But Gestalt is very holistic. That's a good word. It's about, like, looking at the whole person and about, like, your pathologies aren't part of you and that kind of thing. So it makes sense that that would be where humanistic psychology would come from. So according to Maslow, these were wonderful human beings. That's what he called them. And he found a lot of professional and personal growth by taking notes on Ruth and Max's behavior. So he, like, looked up to them. <laughs> Mom's giving me a very weird look. <laughs> that would make me uncomfortable. <laughs> so if somebody just, I was working with was taking... in the mid in the corner, just, like, scratching <laughs> on his doing? notebook. I'm drawing a picture of I you. Just, it's just <laughs> little stick fingers, like, this is if you were my mom, Ruth. And she's like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> Oh, but by, I mean, and I guess if you're a behavioral research person, then you kind of do that with the people you're around too, unfortunately. People watch a lot. Yeah. But looking at their behavior led to his ideas on mental health and human potential, which led to many of his other ideas, probably most famously the hierarchy of needs, like we said. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then he did some other stuff. Uh, he was he was a professor and a resident fellow at a few other places um in 1962 he had a heart attack a pretty big one which made him realize that he probably didn't have much time left and then in 1960 and he didn't it's true in 1963 he declined the position of president for the association of humanistic psychology because he wanted it to develop intellectually without a leader which I think is kind of cool. Like he was saying, like we we shouldn't just be based on one person. We should all, it should be collaborative. Basically, mm-hmm. was what he was saying. So I think it's kind of neat. Hmm. He died on June eighth, nineteen seventy, as a result of a heart attack while jogging. He was sixty two, and that's why we don't jog. I was just gonna say <laughs> we don't we don't do that. Not in this house. Do not, not today. jog. Don't jog. That would be the lesson we just learned. <laughs> yes. So how old was he? I'm sorry. When 62. he died, sixty two. Sixty two. He was really mom's young. taking notes. I have to see how old he is. <laughs> I was going to do the math. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, that's all right. I, I pre-did the math. Good, thank you. I'm glad. So with that, Mom, kind of a shorter history this time. Oh. Let's talk about his theories. Okay. Let's start with the hierarchy. Okay. 
So, guys have probably seen the hierarchy. It looks like the food pyramid. It's basically. a food pyramid for brains. We've compared it to the food pyramid <laughs> in other episodes. We don't know any other kinds of pyramids that there are. That's the only one we know. We, we it's a triangle shape. It's the food pyramid. That's where me and mom are. That's that's where our brains are. <laughs> Um, but this pyramid has, so it has five sections. His original pyramid has five sections. The bottom, the base of the pyramid is physiological needs. So things like food and water and air and shelter and sleep and clothing and reproduction and just those basic needs. And ideally, when you first look at the pyramid and Maslow's original thoughts on it were like, you you have to have that first floor to Some, build on. Yeah, somewhat built in order to go on to the second right. level. That was the original thought, but we're going to kind of come back to that right. idea too. So then the second level he titled safety needs. And that would be things like having a job and having enough money and, and being healthy and, you know, having a place to live. Not just physical safety, but like financial safety and security. Exactly. And- but when I was looking at that, when you were talking, I was thinking about when he was a kid and he was running from gangs and whatever. That it's would be not a surprising real, that that'd be an issue that, in that's that level. Pretty baseline for him. Yeah, exactly. So then the third tier is love and belonging, and so that's not only intimate relationships with a significant other, but like just friendship and family and a sense of connection. And that kind of goes back to Adler and mm-hmm. that idea of belonging to a society yeah, yeah. and all that. Um, so then the next tier is esteem, which includes respect, like your self-esteem. Right. And also like your status in society and the way other people recognize you. And he actually talked about kind of two parts of esteem. One, that how you think of yourself, but also how others think of you. So like your reputation. That all fits in that in that level. And then the very top, the tippy top, the little piece. Tippy top. Tippy top. The dessert section on the food pyramid. My favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is entitled self-actualization. Yes. This is basically our desire to be the most that we can be. Be all you can be. Yeah, like I said, he was real into human potential. He was real into being the best a man can get. (laughs) And self-actualization is Rogerian as well. And eventually we'll, I'm assuming, go in that direction too. Mm -hmm. So um, Rogerian means Carl Rogers. He was also a humanist. We haven't talked about Carl, have we? Did we talk about Carl? You should know this. Did we you talk know about all of... Carl? I don't You know, it's weird because in my head I'm thinking... No, I don't think we have, but I, I feel like so we've either. called him Carl a lot. Did we talk about a different Carl? <laughs> there might be a different Carl. There's more than... Don't be alarmed. To... There is more than one Carl in the world. <gasps> oh my goodness. I know. So if we look at those five tiers, like I said, he at first said and kind of theorized, well, we have to have one solid before we move on to the next. But as his theory evolved and his ideas grew and other people kind of put their words in, um, it came around toward the end that, what, wait, when did he die, Anna? 70. Huh. Why? Because I'm, I'm looking at some literature that was 1987. Well, they, they built on it. Right, but I mean, like, the way they title it, it looks like it's Maslow. It says Maslow, 1987. Well, intellectual so, dishonesty. So maybe they is. just redid some of his works. But Possibly. the idea, though, is that they've kind of built on that theory to the point where you don't necessarily have to have... We talked about all Carl of, Jung. 
Oh, I knew. <laughs> Thank we, you. That Hyung. Yes. Yes. I should have remembered that. There are the the, the yeah. only other Carl in the world. There are Carl two Carls. There's two Carls. Two Carls Carl in the Rogers, whole world. One's Carl Young. And That's... Carl Jr., the guy with that makes a restaurant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. The Artie's restaurant. The, the hamburger yeah. guy. The yeah. hamburger guy. There's, but not okay, the hamburger. Three Carls. Okay, whoa. Now there's two hamburger oh my guys. Gosh. And then there's a hamburglar. There's three of everything. <laughs> we need some flowcharts up in here. <laughs> if you could see the room we're recording in, there's just those like red conspiracy yarn lines all over. We, we should totally do that. Scrawled Carl all we over the wall. It's bad. <laughs> Okay, so the idea, though, is that you don't necessarily have to have all of your needs. Like, you know, you could be hungry and still create something in art that's amazing. And also, as you and I have talked about, you could kind of go up a certain level and be at a certain level, and then something happens in your life that kind of knocks you back down. Ideally speaking, he designed it to be like a step-by-step, but theorists say that's not true. Can I present an alternative theory? May I? Mother, may I? You may. Because you asked so nicely. Because what if everyone just has different ideas of what that need being met looks like? Mm-hmm. What if a hungry artist, a starving artist, uh-huh. just is saying, okay, I'm hungry, but that's meeting my need anyway because I don't need that as much. And it, make, and it makes me paint better when I'm hungry. <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I work better when I'm a little hungry. I certainly met artists. I was, I was an art major for a while in school. I've certainly <laughs> met artists who like really buy into that like starving artist idea of like, I'm a better artist if I'm starving. Yeah. It's like the, the life that they, Yeah, yeah. The yeah. life they're choosing. So to me, that's okay. They are meeting that need because they don't need that. Well, and I would argue that that's all part of self-actualization. To know what it is that truly is yeah. your level Meeting of your whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's some deep stuff. I know. This is, yeah, this is lofty, I think it, is the word is. used for yes, it earlier. Lofty. This mm-hmm. is lofty stuff. So we're going to get into some. Right. So the bottom, just just to remember that you don't necessarily do step one and then, oh, climb right. up to step two right. and then, oh, climb up. You like that sound? <laughs> that, is how you, that is how it sounds when you I climb up. I just picture like climbing up <laughs> onto the next, you know, <laughs> level. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the bottom Four, which are your physiological needs, your safety needs, your love and belonging, and your esteem. Those four in the original pyramid are called D needs or deficiency needs. Things that you need to get to the next. <laughs> Not only <laughs> like do you, you want the it. D, dang it, need you're the D. needing it. And then the very top is called a B need or a being the bo- need. The B the movie B- is the B- self-actualized <laughs> the, B the stands, whole way through. The B stands for being. So uh, just call the... No, all right, fine. Whatever, Abe. Oh, there's so much. <laughs> okay, I have papers today, so I'm flipping my papers. Uh, yeah, flip, flip, flip. So in that same vein of things expanding, the five original have expanded by some people's standards. And we still have the same ones on the bottom, basically. So we have on the bottom biological and physiological needs. The next one is safety needs, love and belongingness, esteem needs. Oh, here's where it changed. The fifth. So this one has eight layers. The fifth one is called esteem needs. Wait, you said the fourth one's. Oh, I'm sorry. Fifth one's called cognitive needs. Thank you for correcting okay. me. Okay. And the sixth one is called aesthetic needs. <sighs> so cognitive is like, you know, gaining uh. knowledge and all that. <laughs> aesthetic is like the search for beauty and balance. My eyes are crawling. Seven is the self-actualization, okay. which used to be at the top. Okay. But now there's a new top 
that's called transcendence. Wait, trans- trans- I don't think that's what it's called. <laughs> transcendence. <laughs> okay. Remember how every episode we have one word? You're, this. You know what we should do is we should have that word somewhere on your wall. <laughs> just, we should, like, this is today's word. It, today's word. I today's think word is transcendental. Tran- that's what I did. Trans. Yeah. Transcendence. Trans- <laughs> Transcendence. I'm looking you even right at it and I can't say it. Transcendentists. Transcendence. Transcendence. They. <laughs> no, no, no. No, They no. give you LSD Trans- and then they work on your team. Transcendence. There you go. <laughs> she looked at me. I had to like. my soul when I had to do that. self-hypnosis. She connected <laughs> Stuck the <laughs> auto hypnosis and then said the word and snapped out of it. So I'm never going to say that word again, just okay. so y'all know that's okay. the word. That's number eight. <laughs> that's a person who's motivated by values which transcend beyond the personal self. So we're talking like mystical stuff. That's self actualization. Exactly. Isn't it? Exactly. They just kind of put add in an extra slice. People just want to sound smart. They want to say that word that I can't say. Which is fine. That's fine. That's fine. If that's what they want to do. Blended. <laughs> okay. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, you have the list. I have that list as well. Mm-hmm. The characteristics mm-hmm. of self-actualized mm-hmm. people. It's so, a long ass list. It is. So, so <laughs> maybe you should do that list. Well, because I've got it too. But you, you, well, you know, let's talk about what does just, it mean to be self-actualized. Yes. Let's dive into what self-actualization is. You drive in first, and then lot. I'll swim in your wake. All right, just, yeah. Because it's hard for me it's to put like into words. It's like I'm a big whale, and she's a little sucker fish on my belly. <laughs> That's a disgusting scenario. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll be the sucker fish. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I feel better about that. <laughs> we're both sucker fish, and we're just looking for a whale. So Maslow based his definition of self-actualization on, first of all, his own assumptions, like I said, about human potential, but also case studies that he did on historical figures he believed were self-actualized. Mm-hmm. So one of them was Einstein, like another was Henry David Thoreau. Did you ever read Walden or see Walden or... Mm-mm. I read it in school and I think I saw a play about it. I think I was supposed to read it in school. <laughs> <laughs> it's very like, tough no. to get through. It's so, it's so like, oh, it's like, okay, this guy just wants to sound. S- That's the impression that I got for it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's just trying very hard to be that, like, lofty, intellectual, self actualized person. But Maslow bought into it. And also Ruth and Max. So he thought they were self actualized. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. He noticed that all self actualized people he studied seemed to share similar traits, such as being reality centered, so able to realize what's genuine, and also problem centered, so you treat life's difficulties as problems that need solutions. Mm-hmm. And he was very, like, he, he thought those were very important. They were also comfortable being alone, but had healthy personal relationships, usually including few close relationships and not tons of, like, shallow relationships. So, like, if you have a lot of friends, but you're not really close to any of them, he right. says that's right. not self-actualized. They're spontaneous and creative. They're not bound too much by social conventions. They accept themselves and focus on their potentials and what he called their inner resources. And like I said, I have a long-ass list of qualities, like personality qualities. Do we just read them? So, Can I throw something in for a second? Please Go sideways do. for a minute? Because yeah. what you were just talking about. Okay, we're in the Willy Wonka-vader. That- and she's going sideways. <laughs> so the idea of him just, that this is the way he basically based 
basically based. <laughs> this is not a good day for words for basically me. Basically based. Um, was on personal, like, like he picked these people. Like, I think this person was. Yeah. So this is one actually of one of the biggest critiques of his theory that this is so not subjective. really. It's, yeah, it's not really a scientific method at all. And one of the things that, that stuck out to me was. Which again is so weird because his research was experimental behavioral. Right. Which is so, so like straight edged as far as psychology theories uh-huh. go. You can measure it like how much saliva. How did yeah. Abraham? How did we get from monkey sex to this? He he was he wasn't sure what he was theorizing so. about. But one of the critiques as well is that he doesn't really focus much on women at all. However, I did read that he also included he included two women in his list. Did you see that? Ruth. Ele- Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, and Mother Teresa. Oh. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. So some of the people who criticize his work would be, among them would be people who say that women aren't really represented. You're telling me his mom isn't on the list? (laughs) You're telling me his mom, his ugly, selfish mom isn't on the list? (laughs) Racist. She was. Ugly, racist. uh, Yeah. Mom. Oh my poor Rose! <laughs> I, I think I think I can't find any pictures of her because he burned She's, them all. Probably <laughs> he didn't really want anybody he just to see burned how them she in really effigy. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Now go back to what you were saying. The long ass list. Would you yeah, like the it? long ass list. Okay, I'm just gonna read just through. Go. The, yeah, I'm just mm-hmm. gonna read through them. You tell me if you would like me to clarify any of them because they all have like synonyms. Basically, it's right, just right. yeah. So truth, goodness, beauty, wholeness dichotomy aliveness uniqueness perfection necessity i'm just gonna this is my this is my self-actualized asmr we need some music behind this completion completion justice order simplicity richness i'm making mom uncomfortable effortlessness playfulness and self-sufficiency i'm impressed that playfulness is in there just saying fun and joy mm-hmm. and amusement i like dichotomy those, i think that's my favorite one those things you listed are called b values those are the b values okay the being values being yeah because well <laughs> yeah because with the self-actualization. Like, that's the only b quality the b level b dessert <laughs> section <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah right duh yeah well that's okay so that's because in what I read, B values were kind of linked to peak and plateau experiences. Right, right. So what are those? Okay, so peak and plateau experiences happen when you are, we don't really say when you are self-actualized because you don't actually ever get there completely. Like we're always in this state of self-actualizing. Okay. Okay. At least that's... <laughs> well, then why Like did I he... said, you read this, then you read this. Why did but... he pick a list of people he thought were self-actualized? I know. You thought they were just well, in they were the self-actualizing yeah, state. Yes. It's an ongoing state. <sighs> verb being, tenses. Right. Conjugate this verb. Conjugate this um, verb. Conjugate self-actualize. <laughs> so a peak experience is a profound moment in your life. And here's the best. I'm going to just read this because when I try to say it in my words, it sounds dirty. I don't know. Peak experiences are profound moments of love, understanding, happiness, or rapture during which a person feels more whole, alive, self-sufficient, and yet part of the world. More aware of truth, justice, harmony. These are those words truth, that you went on. justice, the American way. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So self-actualized people are more likely to have these peak experiences. 
definitely sounds like an orgasm. (laughs) (laughs) Only if you're self-actualizing. Peak peak experience. (laughs) What was the first part of the definition? Maslow envisioned moments of extraordinary experiences that he called peak experiences. Mm -hmm. These are profound moments of love. understanding happiness or rapture rapture there it is that's an (laughs) orgasm word maslow it can also be a religious word i suppose so but it probably wasn't for maslow because he was not a religious man i don't know there's some weird religious art of like saints in rapture that's yeah it's kind of creepy they're all kind of orgasmic orgasmic is already a word anna oh my god (laughs) (laughs) you just made up your own word which was more fun anyway than the real one yeah So basically, you know, I read several things that were specifically from Maslow, like his own writing, where at one point he's saying it doesn't have to be like a mountaintop experience that you only do once in your life or like the birth of your child, which Mm -hmm. would be a peak experience, hopefully. 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 Um, Probably not for his ugly (laughs) racist mom. (laughs) But it could also be like watching a beautiful sunset or, you know, watching... Well, again, this is so subjective because what one person sees as super peak experience might not be any big deal to another. Right. But there are these experiences that just make you feel so alive and so tuned in to Connected to the world. Yeah, what what life is really about. Like the purpose of life. But then there's plateau experiences, which I have to be really honest with you. I struggle with the definition of this one. Okay. He started talking more about the plateau experiences after he had his heart attack. And between his heart attack and then the end of his life, he decided that we need to kind of like, what would be a good word? Foster, maybe? Kind of create our own. Since peak experiences are not, we can't plan it. It's not like we're going to, I'm going to have a peak experience right now. I'm going to look at that sunset and have an orgasm. It's going to be mind blowing. (laughs) You can plan (laughs) orgasms. So maybe that's not a That's true. (laughs) Although he did list. Making love with his wife as one of his peak experiences. So, yeah, that's pretty... That's sweet. Yeah. His Um, first cousin, you mean? (laughs) Yes. Abraham? (laughs) You're so judgy, you know? I'm feeling... (laughs) Yeah, this was one where I, like, read the history, and the more I read about him, the more I'm like, this dude was weird. (laughs) He had some issues. This dude was a weird... And and we'd done our first episode on Freud. Yeah. So we've got kind of a baseline for weird. <laughs> and and the weird thing about it is I actually like, I embrace a lot of what he says. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a humanist, yeah. so sure. I, but yet there are some parts that are like, uh, I'm not sure. So the plan. We've talked about how that, there's that with every theory. Right. That right. like there's parts that were like, yeah, I can buy that. And there's parts that are like, no, <laughs> that's not correct. So he was encouraging people to try to create plateau experiences that make you just kind of always be on this plateau of living life to its fullest, okay? So the plateau is, in my mind, plateau is kind of a negative term. Yeah. Because it's kind of like you hit a plateau of well, learning or ta- a plateau yeah, of weight loss. Yeah, when we talk loss. about it or like, or like your job, like you feel like mm-hmm. you're plateauing, you can't move any higher in it. like. Mm-hmm. That is usually used negatively. But for him, it's more like you want to at least stay at this plateau. You can't always be on the peak. So the plateau has got to be high enough altitude. <laughs> right. You don't want to <laughs> go into the valley. you got to the right plateau. Right, right. But he suggested that you do something, and these are two specific things he suggested. The first one is to gaze upon a field of flowers. 
Which, you know, actually I do that. Sure. There's this house down the street from us that their whole front yard is flowers. Like all kinds of, I mean, they've done this over the years where they've planted these perennials. Oh, yeah. And so like I've been watching it for like the last 10 years. It gets more and more beautiful. Oh, wow. And this week I just, I literally stopped my car and sat there and went, oh my God. Because it's just the whole yard is so full of beautiful flowers. I think he does it so he doesn't have to mow his grass. But uh, hey, yeah. but it, but so that's kind of what Maslow said to do: to stop yeah. and like take in the beauty of the flowers. Stop and smell the flowers. Exactly. The second example was <laughs> she's giggling. That means it's good. <laughs> Ponder your own death. <laughs> <laughs> so you go from the pretty flowers okay, to listen, what if tomorrow a, I'm going to be peak experience <laughs> if I lay in a field of flowers and think about death. And think about the moss covering me and reclaiming my body for the earth. Is that is that a plateau or a peak experience, Abraham? I think it's each. But I think it's both at once. So, <laughs> yeah. The way you said that was comedically timed brilliantly. Thank you. Thank you. It's very good. Uh, and she was also, again, staring directly into my eyes. And she said, ponder your death. Ponder. Ponder your death. <laughs> yeah. So there's so he also suggests that there are things that we can do to like build our self-actualization muscles so that we'll have peak and plateau He's like, listen, if I can't have arm muscles, I'll have self-actualization muscles. I, this is a generational thing because I would say buff and you would say... Swole. Swole. Get yeah, swole. Yeah. I see. Okay. See, again, to me, that's <laughs> it's just like a sexual thing. Swole? Yes. Well, buff means nude, mom. In the buff. Oh, see, I didn't. I don't go there. Everything at all. could. Everything could be sex, <laughs> but naked doesn't have to be sex. That's true. Could just be naked, That's like true. taking a shower or something. That's okay. true. Or right. breastfeeding your child. There are lots of ways to be naked and not be sex. Okay, so here's <laughs> not be sex. <laughs> Here are some behaviors that will lead to self actualization. If oh. you want to make yourself a list, okay, and get on this. Okay, I'm going to zip through them. Okay, experiencing life like a child. It's fun. I like yeah, that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I like that one too. Trying new things instead of sticking to the safe path. Listening to your own feelings. Very good. Uh-huh. All very good. Uh-huh. I feel like these are things that I, this is heartening because I feel like this is stuff I work on with my clients. Uh, yeah, I like it too. Avoiding pretense, game playing, and being, being honest. Genuine. Being genuine. Exactly. Yeah, being exactly. So these things, in my opinion, these things are very, and it does make sense because we're both humanists to right, some degree. Right. So when we do therapy, these are things that we work on with people. Being prepared to be unpopular in your views. Okay. If you know, being which I able think to... goes back with self acceptance. Exactly. Yeah. Taking responsibility and working hard. Responsibility is also a big humanistic theory. And I like that he that put theory. working hard in there because you yes. know my love language. Yes. Okay. Trying <laughs> to identify your defenses and having the courage to give up some of your defenses. Okay. Okay. These are all very good. These are things I that like you, them a lot. you work on these things and then pretty soon. Yeah. And I think even if you're listening to this and you don't really buy into the self-actualized thing, that those are good things to do anyway. Those are exactly. just good things to do as a human. Even if you're just framing it as growth then those are good things to do to work on your growth. Exactly. I, I like, like it. it. I like hey. it. <laughs> hey. So one of the things that I was kind of pondering, not my own death this time. Ponder- I ponder things besides my own death sometimes. <laughs> not is a that lot. A lot of what Maslow talked about, he would use words that seemed spiritual mm-hmm. or even more specifically religious. But right. I was curious to read about how he was an atheist. Mm-hmm. And that basically 
he did a lot of writing about how religion as such often gets in the way of self-actualization because we're in this mode. But then another thing I read talked about how people who are spiritual can actually self-actualize quicker because they're more open to the transcendental. So, okay, so I would say that he focused on like organized religion. I assume he's meaning because Mm -hmm. one of the things about being self-actualized is that you don't ascribe as much to societies and people's views right and i think that organized religion is that i mean we are inherently in a a church or religion and we're going by that religion's tenets Mm -hmm. so i think that has a lot to do with following someone else's stuff instead of self-actualizing and i think that's probably where he would get hung up on it but i read that as well and he even wrote i saw that he wrote about the subject in terms of humans need for the sacred he called it so again he acknowledged and i think i've met people too that aren't religious but they know that we as humans need something that is beyond kind of what we can understand that it kind of gives comfort so i think he wrote about it like that he also wrote about god being more philosophical so like things like beauty and truth and goodness and the force of principle being god right like sort of just kind of like a person right yeah Mm -hmm. which is kind of eastern religion e yes in a lot of ways yes but he was, I mean, everything I saw said he was an atheist, like mm-hmm. straight up. I'm going to throw one more word that's one of his words that he coined. Meta-motivation. Did that's you read that one? Fun. I didn't. Sounds like a transformer or something. <laughs> meta-motivation. <laughs> we have the Decepticons and the meta-motivators. <laughs> so Maslow uh, coined this term to describe self-actualizing people who are driven by innate forces beyond their basic needs. So that they can explore and reach their human potential. So they don't get caught. That kind of goes back to your, you're not necessarily just motivated by I'm hungry or I need $10. You're motivated toward the top right away. You know, like. Okay. Yes, you want to go straight to the top. So no matter what you're going through physically or emotionally with your loved ones or whatever, you still have that motivation to reach your full potential. So. I like it. It's kind of like. You're going straight, skipping, like, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Okay, did I? Did we dollars. talk enough about that stuff? I think so. I, I kind of wanted to, like, because in talking about the religion piece, mm-hmm. that led into, so he had several types of psychology that he was involved in, like several schools, I suppose. So I saw him described as positivist, humanistic, and transpersonal. And those are all pretty similar, but a little different. So he started as a positivist, and that's literally what it sounds like. It's a positive interpretation of human behavior. Mm-hmm. And then he went to humanist, which we talked about. And the humanistic things in general are like focusing on the here and now. Personal responsibility is a big one. That everyone is inherently worthy. And also that negative actions don't cancel a person's worth Mm-hmm. And kind of the ultimate goal of humanism is living to attain personal growth and understanding, which, I mean, that's all, that all goes with the hierarchy of needs. That's right. that's all very in line with the self-actualization. The transpersonal is something that I had never heard before. And that is, it's it's also a humanistic view, but it's saying that humanistic psychology can't explain all of human stuff basically and that there are things that are mystical or ethereal that are beyond self-actualization which i believe is why when they expanded it they put it up at the top right to be top right 
So, like, I, I don't have as much of a problem with that being on the actual pyramid, but the other ones can just be self-actualization. That's dumb. It's dumb that they split those up. Like, aesthetic needs. But again, it goes back to what you said about how we define something. Well, yeah. Because for a person who is spiritual, I would argue that we look at that as part of our self-actualization. Well, yeah. That total, you know, embracing the spiritual side and... Well, and also, if he's on this kick of, like, well, it's also beauty and truth and goodness. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the self-actualized things is that you're connected with the world. Right. Isn't that a spiritual experience for him? Right. right. Abraham. Personally, I think Abraham was fighting with his own issues about his mother, first his of mother all. His mother is first <laughs> of all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to mention that. So Abraham Maslow did not like Sigmund Freud. He didn't like him. He didn't like his ideas. And his ideas were actually a huge shift since psychology up until this point had been focused on abnormality and illness, Mm -hmm. which we also unfortunately kind of have to do. Like, you and I have talked about how when we see someone, we have to diagnose them. Right. Just for insurance purposes a lot. Right. But we don't like to do that because we're very humanistic and we don't want to focus on that. That's right. So (laughs) Maslow said, It is as if Freud supplied us with the sick half of psychology and we must now fill it out with the healthy half. Ah, which and okay. so that's where the positivity came from. Yeah, yeah. Because from from Freud's tutelage, we learned how to focus on the well negatives and the illness. Right. And a big part of humanistic and Gestalt also is that like you are not what's wrong with you. Right. So it's it's like saying it's the difference between saying I'm sad and like I'm feeling sadness right now. Mm-hmm. I know that's kind of a small shift, but it's it's not identifying as the problem. It's mm-hmm. seeing the problem as something that you can fix, which is also one of the self-actualized things he talked about, having a problem mindset that, that you can see it as something that can have a solution that you can work on. Right. I think he didn't like Freud because Freud did a lot of mom stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and Maslow didn't want to hear it. He was like, no. You're really in love with your mother, Maslow. Yeah. He's like, I am not no. in love. She was a racist cow. <laughs> I don't even like her. I don't even like her. He had some issues with Freud. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. What else do you want to add? You have a lot more notes. I do, but it's all the same stuff. Oh, okay. It's all the same stuff. I mean, you know, he kind of thought that, that he was going to be the father of any specific theory. You said that earlier, that mm-hmm. he wanted it all to be kind of, because we don't look at him and say, you know, he led us into humanism or, no, because other people get the credit for that. Yeah. He was just kind of like partnering up with other people for different things. Like, hey, buddy, buddy. Yeah, I didn't know he was like, I, I mean, until I really started researching him, I didn't know he was so integral in founding the whole school of humanism. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a huge school. But we never really talked that much about no. him. Like we know the the hierarchy of needs is mentioned in almost any psychology class, right? So that's pretty big. But they're never like, and also Abraham Maslow like created humanistic psychology. I don't think I've ever heard that. And we've also talked about how the hierarchy of needs. It's one of those psychological theories that are all through society, not just for therapists or counselors yeah. or whatever. As teachers, I was there was a section I read about education and how Maslow had a lot to say about education and mm-hmm. how he believed that it was a significant thing to be sure that kids had enough food before they studied and all that stuff. Well, that was one of the things when he was going through his kind of 
running from anti-Semitic gangs, Mm -hmm. that was the worldview he developed, that he wanted a world based in that everyone could have education and safety and all that stuff. So he was very... So all of these programs in our society that we have now that, like, help get kids breakfast when they get to school Mm -hmm. and, you know, make sure that kids have what they need to be physically comfortable so that they can learn because it's hard to move on to the next step. Well, and we do that too. I mean, not just in schools, but we have, I mean, that's what DCFS ideally does is they go in and they take people out of harmful or unhealthy situations. Try to get them into healthy situations. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we have, there are structures set up in America we're talking about, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, there are structures set up to protect people against that. Mm -hmm. You think we have anybody that listens that's not in America? I think so. Really? According to SoundCloud, we do. Holy crap. Hello. If you're not from America, hello. Thank you for listening to us. Yes. Yammer on. That's amazing. Not everybody in America is as weird as us. (laughs) That is untrue. We are... (laughs) No, we're pretty normal. We're pretty normal. We're pretty normal. (laughs) There are weirder people. (laughs) Slightly. Just slightly. Can I tell you about a fun thing? Please do, because I think I'm done. Okay, so this will be kind of the cap. Okay. The ending cap. I want to tell you about Maslow's Hammer. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, tell us about it. So this has several other names as well. It's also called the Law of the Instrument, the Law of the Hammer, and the Golden Hammer, and also Maslow's Gavel, which hmm. is weird. It's not like Thor's Hammer. No. <laughs> Maslow's hammer is a thing that he threw and it would come back to him. And that was that was a peak experience for him. And only he could pick it up. He's like, this is so cool. <laughs> but even if you don't know what Maslow's hammer means, you've heard it. It's colloquially said as if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So that's attributed to Maslow. Abraham said in 1996, no, he didn't. He died in 1970. See? That's, it's 1966. I just can't write oh, notes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't write notes. Or it was his ghost. Can't rule it out. God was like, you can't come to heaven because you don't believe in me, so go be a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, oh, can't come here. So he said in 1966, Okay. I remember seeing an elaborate and complicated automatic washing machine for automobiles that did a beautiful job of washing them, but it could only do that, and everything else that got into its clutches was treated as if there were an automobile to be washed. I suppose it is tempting if the only tool you have is a hammer to treat everything as if it were a nail. So actually, this is mostly apocryphal, which means that it's been attributed to a lot of different sources. Like, uh, some people have said, like, it's in the Bible. Some people have said Mark Twain said it. Because everyone thinks Mark Twain said everything. <laughs> every every little quippy quote, they're like, that is a Mark Twain quote. But there's there's no evidence that says it was either in the Bible or in Mark Twain. There was an English saying, the Birmingham screwdriver... Meaning a hammer, like calling a hammer a Birmingham screwdriver. That predates other sources by like a century. I also think that sounds like a sex move. <laughs> the Birmingham screwdriver. <laughs> or a drink, maybe. We are very Freudian today. Yes. Okay. It's our brand. On brand for us. In 1868, a London periodical contained the line, Give a boy a hammer and chisel, show him how to use them. At once he begins to hack the doorposts to take off the corners of shutter and window frames until you teach him a better use for them and how to keep his activity within bounds. So that's believed to be kind of where it started Mm. and it just kind of evolved. evolved. Yeah. But it's, I mean, I think it's interesting that 
I mean, Maslow said it, but he certainly wasn't the only one, especially around that time, that had that idea. So you idea. put that in Anna words. If all you have is a hammer, everything is a nail? Uh-huh. I, I like that phrase. Because, I know you do. I mean, it, it means we look at things in a frame that we understand and we... Like, in the psychology world, I see this with diagnosing. I've worked with people who, like... They've worked with ADHD people their whole life. And so everyone they meet is ADHD. Mm -hmm. They've worked with bipolar people all their life. So everyone's bipolar. We get into our heads that these symptoms equal this. And then if we see any of those symptoms, we say, aha, it's this. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that psychologists fall into a lot. Because the hammer that they have is ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so every client comes in, they're going to hammer them. <laughs> Again, we go there. They're going to get them hammered. <laughs> okay. Okay. But yeah, I, I think that it's about taking the hammers that we have and using them for other things. <laughs> You're making me explain this Funny. metaphor and I don't want yeah. to anymore. <laughs> That's okay. You don't have to. Okay. I wouldn't make you do that. All right. That's all I have. Hmm. Okay. That seemed. Breeze through mm-hmm. that. I know. That was, that was, that was good. That was quick. It's <laughs> quick. Well, I I think that I would just say the one of the things that we always come back to on Freudian Sips is somehow about the self-awareness piece and that that's a huge part of therapy of being a counselor, helping people to build their self-awareness. And that's just kind of a, that's a slanted way of looking at this <laughs> self-actualization thing, which yeah. is getting to know yourself completely, becoming completely the person that you are. But then there's those other pieces about appreciating the world around you and realizing how you fit into that world and mm-hmm. and taking peak and plateau experiences. That that To me, that's basically just... You know, taking the time to enjoy your life and it's kind of like a gratitude. We do, I do this a lot with my clients that clients who are struggling, especially with depression, mm. to like make a gratitude journal or, you know, do yeah, something where yeah. they every day think about one thing that's good, you know, such as their death. <laughs> ponder their death. For some people, their every day, ponder pondering. your death <laughs> and smell a flower. But if we just focus, and that goes back to the positivity too, mm. you just focus on the, on the good things. Which is, and we don't want that to sound too neurotypical of us. It's not like we're saying, have you tried just not being sad? Yeah. Like, that is not what we're saying. We're saying that that is part of conscious self-talk and effort. Right. That sometimes we have to do that self-talk and, and do that looking specifically for things that are good. Right. To balance out the negative things our brain is doing that are bad. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. That's good. That's a good note to end on, Mom. That's a good note. Okay, well, we want to thank everyone for listening. I didn't have to prompt her this time. I just did. <laughs> because I I do need to thank you for listening. I, I, you know, I think about it before Anna prompts me. Oh, yes. But I just sometimes don't know if there's a one more thing. A likely story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please know that you are appreciated, yes. sipsters. Yes. You are, by both of us. That stopped very abruptly. Thank you. Thank you for listening. My voice is such that when my voice stops, it's like, boom. It's like, there's a big hole There's there. always more to say. Yes. I'm done now, Anna. I'm so, finished. Thanks, Mom. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks. And I would also like to say thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. You can find Thank us you. 
on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're Freudian Sips Pod on all those. And we're also on our site, FreudianSipsPod.com. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us directly, if you want to send us ideas for episodes or just want to say, hi, I just started listening and I love you and you're our girls, then you can email us at FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. We're on Patreon if you want to support the show, throw a few bucks our way to help us self-actualize. And we are Freudian Sips Pod on there. And please remember to leave us a nice rating and review. If you can do that wherever you're listening, if you want to hop over to iTunes, give us a rating there. We would love it. It would make us happy and self-actualized. Everything, Everything. I'm saying, <laughs> if you follow us on Twitter, self-actualized. If you Patreon us, self-actualized. All of it. It all helps us. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.